Good morning, everybody. How you doing? So glad you're here with us, whether you're gathered at Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, Parkway Online. Lots of sick kids at Parkway Online with their parents today. We're glad that you stayed home. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to church online. You've never heard anybody say, thanks for not coming to church. But if you're sick, thanks for not coming to church. And we're glad you joined us at Parkway Online, Parkway Victoria. Welcome, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And I am so thankful that each and every week I get to open the Bible with you and walk through it. This year at Parkway Church, we've got one simple goal. We're going to walk through the big story of God. We're going to look at the big picture of God's story, book by book, chunk by chunk, get to know the major characters in Scripture, see the theological thread that runs throughout the Bible. And I'm so glad that you're here with us today. If you are new with us, I've got some really good news to share. We have, in the past, this year, studied the books of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and, and I got good news for you. Last week, last week we took a step into the New Testament. Last week we stepped into the New Testament, so now we are studying the life and ministry of Jesus, and we're going to study from this point forward through the year how that life and ministry of Jesus affects each and every one of us. And so you picked a great time to jump in on our journey through Scripture. In this series, Eyewitness, we're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their messages to us. We're also going to get to know two major players, Peter and a guy named Thomas, as a part of this series. And as we get to know the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' work, I hope that we get to know Jesus all the better. I hope that we get to know Jesus and take our next step with him. So if you brought your Bible... Open up with me to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew was the first gospel in the New Testament, so now we turn to the Gospel of Mark. And as we study the Gospel of Mark today, it's, it's, an, it's like a fascinating, unique view of Jesus. There are some things that make the Gospel of Mark stand out when compared to Matthew, Luke, and John. One of those is this, that, that Mark is focused. It's, it's a very focused book. It begins with Jesus' baptism and the start of his ministry, and it ends with his death, burial, and resurrection. So there's not the story of his, his birth. There's not the story of the, like the, the angel announcing that, that Joseph and Mary would have a baby that is not Joseph's. It begins instead with his ministry. It's a very focused book. It's also a very simple book in that it's going gonna, it's gonna to tell the story of Jesus' teachings and miracles in a way that an outsider could understand it. The book of Matthew, if you remember, was written for a Jewish audience. Well, the Gospel of Mark is written for a different group of people. And so Mark has got to over-explain everything. It, it's, think about it. It's almost like Mark is writing this Gospel to spiritual three-year-olds. If you've ever had a three-year-old in your house, you know how you have to explain and over-explain and re-explain everything to a three-year-old, right? Why? Because I said so. Why? Because I, that doesn't work all the time, does it? But it should. And so Mark is explaining the gospel as though he is writing to people who don't have a spiritual background. He's also going to tell it in a way where Jesus is always on the move. If you ever think that reading the Bible is boring or the story of Jesus is stale, then you need to, to dig into the gospel of Mark because the gospel of Mark shows our Savior, Jesus, on the move throughout. Like He was ministered for three years, so the book of Mark is a three-year story. 
And it shows Jesus on the move like a thriller, like an action movie. There's this word immediately gets used over and over again in the Gospel of Mark because Jesus is immediately going from here to there. He was always working, always doing what God sent him to accomplish. And one of the things that we see in the Gospel of Mark is a focus on miracles. There are 18 miracles of Jesus that are, that are told about in the Gospel of Mark. Two of those miracles are only told by Mark. So this is the story of Jesus that we're going to dig into today. The story of God's full power on display in Jesus. It's the story of Mark. You know, I can't believe that I get to tell you this story. I didn't walk with Jesus personally. I wasn't an eyewitness. But the people that knew him best, they came and they hung out at my house. Yeah, I, I'm Mark. And the people that loved Jesus and knew him best, they came and, and my mom would hold Bible studies and they would talk about what Jesus had told them and they'd talk about the Old Testament and then they would pray together. And this was all happening in my house. I was an eyewitness to those who knew him the best and loved him the most. This was such a difference-making group in my life that I eventually went on a trip for Jesus. My, my cousin Barnabas, if you've ever met Barnabas, you know that he is an encourager. There's no one quite like Barnabas when it comes to telling you that you can accomplish great things for God and that God's at work in you. And my cousin, he invited me to go on this journey where he and this guy named Paul, you might have heard of Paul, he used to kill Christians. But now he's going and telling people about Jesus. And I was invited to go on this journey because I knew who Jesus was. And I saw his followers as they devoted themselves completely to what he taught. In the midst of that journey, Sadly, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you. I didn't get it all right. In fact, midway in this journey, I bailed. I left. Was there a girl at home? Was the trip too stressful? That's for me to know. But I left. The journey that I was on with Jesus, I bailed. Paul and Barnabas, they got so sideways with each other that they split up and stopped doing ministry together because of me. So I can't believe I get to tell you this story. The story of the powerful Jesus at work. You see, the Jesus that I get to tell you about today is so powerful that he restored my relationship with Paul. Though Paul was once really, really mad, I became one of his biggest supporters and cared for him deeply. Not only that, but I get to be the one who tells you the story of Jesus as I was told the story of Jesus. See, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, he told me all of these stories. And if you know Peter, you know that it's an exciting story. Peter would get many things like horribly backwards. Like when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled a sword. Jesus said, no, 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 put it away. And he healed the man's ear. 
Peter would walk on water and then would, would sink when he got his eyes off of Jesus. Peter would claim to be completely committed to Jesus and yet would deny him three times. And this is the man that tells me, Mark, the story of God, so that I can tell it to you. So as we study Mark today, one of the things that we're going to focus in on are the two unique miracles of Jesus that Mark records. Mark's desire is that we would know that God's full power was on display in Jesus Christ. And because God's full power was, is, and always will be on display in Jesus Christ, we can respond to him and we can live for him. So we've got two miracles we're going to dig into. If you brought your Bible, Mark chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 31 through 32 as we get started. If you didn't bring your Bible, no worries. The verses will be up on the screen. You can also follow along with the outline we gave you on the way in or the Parkway app. You can feel free to download and use that. Mark 7, verse 31. Here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So Jesus is going around teaching and healing. And he makes his second stop at the Decapolis. The Decapolis is an area of 10 cities. Deca equals 10. So it's 10 cities. And the first time Jesus was in this region, he cast a bunch of demons out of a guy. In fact, he cast demons out of a guy into a herd of pigs. And those pigs ran from the hillside down into the sea. That's the first case of deviled ham. See, that was a check. That was a check to see what kind of mood y'all are in. You're slightly grumpy today. So now Jesus returns. His reputation of being a healer is spreading. And so they bring a man before him who cannot hear and who can hardly talk. So he is deaf and mainly mute. They say, Jesus, would you lay your hand on him? This is how the story progresses. Mark 7, verse 33. After he took him aside from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Now, this is the strangest healing that you're ever going to read about. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. And then he spits on his hand and touches the man's tongue. Just a moment ago, after our first service, one of our deacons, one of the leaders, servants of our church came up and said, Mike, I know why Jesus healed the man like he did. I know why he went to the ears first and then to the tongue. And I leaned in real closely. He said, because if he did the tongue first and then the ears, yeah, you know where I'm going. You know, you know where I'm going. Oh, I'm like, Jesus wasn't playing games with this guy. He wasn't giving him a holy wet willy. He was healing him personally. And as you see the story, Jesus pulls the man away from the crowd and he touches him personally. And if you keep reading the story, you're going to see that Jesus' touch, God's power on full display, healed this man. So Jesus put his 
fingers in his ears and spit on his fingers and put his fingers on the man's tongue. And then he looked up to heaven. Whose authority was Jesus healing people by? Who did he look to in this moment? It was God's authority. So Jesus looks up with a deep sigh and said, Ephapha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. So this miracle-working Savior heals this man. He touches him. He prays for him. And then the man is healed. His hearing comes back and his tongue is loosed. So he can both hear and speak because Jesus was with him. Story continues. Mark 7, 36 and 37. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Let's stop right there. So Jesus healed this man in a a way that none of us would have assumed he'd heal. With a touch and a spit on a tongue. No, 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 no. But he did it that way. And then he told his disciples, don't tell anyone. Told the crowd, don't tell anyone. And of course, you know what they did. He said, don't tell anyone. So they went and told everyone. Keep this a secret. So they shared the secret with everybody, which is really kind of crazy because in our day and age, Jesus tells us to tell everyone about him, and we don't. And he told them, don't tell anyone about me, and they did. Listen to how the story progresses. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He had done everything well, they said. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Why would Jesus heal a man in this way? Why would Jesus heal a man or a woman at all? It's so that we would know that God was in human flesh among us. This was no ordinary man. This is no ordinary teacher. This is not your regular rabbi. This is God in human flesh among us. And so every time we see a miracle of God in the Bible, it's a reminder that God is in charge of everything and everyone that he has the authority. Now, some of you might say, Mike, I would really believe the Bible quicker, and it'd be easier for me to believe the Bible if we would simply remove those miracles. If we would simply turn Jesus into a a teacher instead of God. Mike, I would really feel comfortable believing the Bible then. Well, friends, we cannot remove the miracles from Scripture. Because if we remove the miracles from Scripture, we remove a key reminder that Jesus is God in human flesh. And that he has authority over you and me. He has authority over the wind. He has authority over our bodies. He has authority to heal and to help as he wills. And as we see in Mark, this first miracle, we know who's in charge. It's Jesus. Because he's the one they bring people, that, that, that has people brought to him. And he's the one that can deliver healing. Let's keep reading. We see the second miracle that Jesus completed that Mark only recorded. It's found in Mark 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida was a fishing village. In fact, it literally means house of fish. This is where Peter lived. This is where Philip and Andrew were called by God. And so Jesus goes to their hometown, his friend's hometown. 
they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. So again, don't tell anybody. They told everybody. So his reputation is spreading. Keep this a secret. Oh, let me tell you the secret. Jesus is healing. And so what did Jesus do? There's a blind man. There's a crowd. Jesus, Mark 8, 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on this man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? So once again, we see the personal power of God on display. Jesus takes this man who has a need, and he takes him outside of the city, away from the crowd. He spit on his eyes. He touched him. Then the man opened his eyes, and Jesus asked the question, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. You would have expected that with the touch of the Savior, that this man's eyes would have been opened and he would have said, yes, I see perfectly. I can see near. I can see far. I can see everything. But this is the only miracle of Jesus recorded in the Gospels that was a progressive miracle. Jesus, he healed this man by touching him not once, but twice. Listen how the story continues. The man saw shapes. The man saw trees, not people. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go to the village. Now, why would Mark include this story in his gospel? I think it's to remind us that God's healing is never partial. It's always perfect. God's healing is never incomplete. It's always complete in Christ. And that's an important thing for you and I to remember as believers today. Because you might wonder, God, when are you going to deliver on your promises to me? Well, friends, many times God delivers on his promises to us today. But there are also times when God is going to deliver on our ultimate healing, our ultimate health, our ultimate life, not here today, but in heaven with him. And we've got to know that God is still at work. His healing is never partial. It's always, always, always complete. And as you think about your life personally today, if you've been praying this prayer, God, I want you to, however you fill in that blank, you can trust that Jesus is at work in that situation. You may not see things as clearly as you want to in that area in this time, but you can know that God's healing and God's work is never, ever, ever incomplete, and he's never done so as you see this man healed and he can see and, and, and Jesus says, go home, but don't go through the village, just go home. Jesus asked his disciples as they were walking to their next place, he asked them the most important question in life. Keep reading, Mark 8, 27 and 28. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? 
They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now remember, Jesus was performing these miracles so that we would answer, so that they would answer this question correctly. He's not just there performing magic tricks. He's not just there healing people for the sake of the crowd. He is there so that people will answer this question correctly. And that question is this. So people are talking. Who do they say I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, Jesus. He's not John the Baptist because John the Baptist said that, that, that he, John, must decrease so that Jesus must increase. He, John said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And some said, You're, you are like a prophet. You are like Elijah. And, and Jesus would shake his head and say, I'm not like a prophet. I'm the one that the prophets pointed to. I'm the one that the prophets said was coming. When we studied the, the major prophets and the minor prophets in Scripture together as a church, it's so that we would know that Jesus is the one God sent. He's his promise to us in flesh. And so Jesus says, the crowds are getting it wrong, but what about you? Mark 8, 29 through 30. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up. And Peter said this, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. See, Peter, in that moment, he got it 100% right. Many times, Peter would get it 10% right or 0% right. But in this moment, he nailed it 100% right. You aren't John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preparing the way for you. You aren't a prophet of old. The prophet of old was pointing to you. You are the Messiah. And Messiah means the chosen one or the anointed one of God. And so what Peter was saying there is you are the one God has sent to be our savior and to be our leader. You're the one who God has sent to make us right with him. You're the one God has sent so that we know how to live the new life to honor God. You are our savior and our Lord. Every miracle of Jesus is given to us so that we will know who he is as our Savior and our Lord. As you think about who Jesus is to you and who Jesus is that we see in Scripture, we want to share with you a story of part of our Parkway family, somebody that saw God's power at work in her life and the difference that's made for her. Let's hear Tanil's story. How are you doing, Sunil? Good, thank you. How are you? Thanks for meeting us today. You're going to be talking with us about how you've been an eyewitness to God in your life. Yeah. And uh, your story is a little different than some of the other ones I've done because you are from? Australia. Australia. Yeah. All right, so give us a little bit of background on how you got to the United States and how you found Parkway Church and how God's been working in your life in the last few months. Well, God has been working in my life uh, quite a lot in the last few months. Um, in Australia, um, I'm a registered nurse and I met my husband through a pen pal website. It's the first man I'd ever written to in a prison mm. and he's from America. <laughs> 
And so basically, long story short, he taught me a lot more about the Bible and God's Word and to trust God and to have faith, especially coming from a mostly agnostic society back in Australia. None of my family, they didn't believe and they didn't disbelieve. So it was quite, of a, str quite a struggle um, back there with my faith and my husband brought me closer to God. So God gave me the strength to pretty much sell all my possessions, pack up all my things wow. and come to America, eight and a half thousand miles. I picked up my husband who was just released from prison and we were married a month later and his cousin introduced me to Parkway Church and now I'm at Parkway, I was able to be baptised which is something I've always wanted to do and here I am. So <laughs> so you're part of our Parkway Portlavaca family, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And a friend of your or uh, your husband's cousin or a yes. friend introduced you to us? Yes. Oh, yes. nice. And so you also mentioned in there that where you come from, that the the belief system or most of the people in your community are agnostic. So that means yes. they don't believe in one way or the other. Yeah, that's uh, So how does that affect uh, you and how does that, does that create conflict in your family or amongst your friends or anything or how does that Well, um, my family... Um, like I said, they're agnostic, so they won't, they don't, basically, they don't hold anything against me, of course, but their sort of take on things is don't push it upon, don't push it upon us. So they're going to so support you, can, you? Yeah, they were supportive in my baptism, in, in my faith, but basically is don't push it upon us kind of thing, yeah. So how long have you been a believer? Um, I've been a believer since I was a child. I seem to pray to God since I was a young child. No one else in my family ever did. It was never a thing spoken about at all, really. And I just did as I was a child. And then, like I said, when I met my husband, I became more closer to God. And then, now that I'm at Parkway, it's made my journey even a lot more closer to God. And, you know, I, God always promised that I'd have, you know, there'd be something more for me to life. Because I'd sit back thinking there's, you know, what, what else is there to life? And, you know, God's promises, that's that missing puzzle piece that I was looking for and I found it. <laughs> I had to travel eight and a half thousand miles but I found it. <laughs> in your baptism that, that expression that, that you've been able to uh, put forth uh, uh, this part of your life it, even though you've been a believer for years yeah. um, you know that's probably something special for you right? Yes yes very special and I got my baptism certificate today in the mail so <laughs> I opened that and yeah, had a photo of all us, and I was just very grateful, and I prayed to God then and there. And you've had you've discovered some new friends in our Parkway family as yes. well, because I understand you're in a Bible study group with a group yes. of ladies. Yes, everyone is so very welcoming because I'm a very shy person, <laughs> and I don't like I you know I'm very friendly, but I'm very shy too. And everyone here is so very open and welcoming, and you know it's just made my journey with God so much easier. And everyone's very supportive and. You know, they're very loving and, yeah, it's... <laughs> uh, so you had to come eight and a half thousand miles yes. to South Texas in America yes. to yep. the city of Port Lavaca to get baptized. Yes. That's yes. <laughs> <laughs> a long journey, but everyone thought I was crazy. But, you know, I, I was, they said, you're crazy. Why are you even going that far, you know, for a man? I said, well, you know, we have a lot in common. He teaches me a lot about God, and I know in my heart that God's telling me this is what I need to do. And that's what I did, and here I am, and it's the best decision I ever made.
I love Tennille's story. And she's in Australia now waiting for a visa to be able to come back. But one of the things that, that I'm sure she's sharing with her friends is not only did she come 8,500 miles to come to know Jesus, but she made some really good friends in South Texas. She was a part of a small group that encouraged her and helped her along the way. And in fact, that small group, they loved her accent so much that they made her read scripture anytime <laughs> there was a scripture to be read. And so I'm guessing she goes back to Australia and says, the people were nice. I got to know Jesus better, but none of them can read. <laughs> the other thing about Tennille's story is it took 8,500 miles and a step of faith for her to grow in her relationship with Christ and to get to know who Jesus is. What's it going to take for you to respond to Jesus? You've witnessed the power of Jesus on display in the Gospels. And that power is on display so that you will know, and you can fill in this blank, that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. Jesus is my Savior, and Jesus is my Lord. What's God going to have to do to move mountains, to work miracles, to relocate you in life, for you to take your next step? For some of you here at Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, and Parkway Victoria, and even online, your next step might be your first step, where you are believing in Jesus for life. He died for you and was raised again because you're a sinner who needs a Savior. And this Savior of the world invites you to believe, and he will give you life. But for those of us that are already believers, your next step is to submit your life to him. Your next step is to believe that he can not only save you from hell, but he can lead you today. Your next step is to say, Jesus, you are my savior and you are my Lord. Every miracle recorded in scripture reminds you that God's in charge of you and your life and he can be trusted. So the question is, will you bend the knee to God, believer in Jesus Christ? Will you submit your life to him completely? Will you allow him to heal you? Will you allow him to work in you in such a way that your life and your lifestyle are his? Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, friends. And like a blind man in need of a healing, we come to Jesus like one who is deaf and mute, we come to Jesus and we ask for his power to be at work inside of us. Believer in Jesus Christ, know this. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. You might look and wonder whether God has given your neighbor something more and given you something less. No, he, he gives all who believe the exact same grace, the exact same mercy, the exact same Holy Spirit living in us. You lack nothing to live the godly life with Jesus as your Lord, believer in Jesus Christ. You lack nothing except your decision to submit your life and to depend upon the one who's in control of everything. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word today, to learn, to grow, and to be challenged. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us all take our next step with you. As we pray, what's your next step with the Lord? Church family, do you need to submit your life to him one more time? Submit your job to him? Submit your relationships to him? Submit your family to him? Submit your heart to him? Submit your mind to him? Submit the lifestyle choices you're making to him? Submit even the sin patterns of your life to him? And ask him to change you as you follow him, the Lord of your life. If you're a believer, that's your next step. If you've never believed in Christ for life, trusting him and him alone for eternal life, your next step is to believe that Jesus is your Savior, that he died in your place and was raised again from the dead to forgive you of your sin and to free you from the power and penalty of sin, to give you life forever with him. If you've never believed that you're a sinner and God loves you so much that he sent his son to be your savior, I invite you to believe today. And if today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 